Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of the Trinity, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I asked a very important question, and this question is, when you go before God in heaven, when you pass from this life into the next and you enter into the kingdom of God, do you expect to see three thrones? Is that what you expect to see? When you go before your God in heaven, do you expect to see three thrones, one on your left, which has the Lord Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Father who is sitting in the middle on another throne who is perhaps an elderly person who perhaps has a long white beard, and then on the right, on your right, do you expect to see another throne with a steam or a mist hovering over the seat that we would describe as the Holy Spirit? Is that what you anticipate seeing? Well, I certainly would expect you to say no. I would expect most people to say that that is not what they expect, that is not what they anticipate. However, that is truly what many people do believe. They may not be willing to admit that that's what they believe, but when they suggest that there is such a distinction between the different persons of the Godhead, when they say that, it can be easily interpreted in that way. And while they may not intend to say that, that is what is being communicated to others, that inherently that is what they believe, or perhaps that really is what they believe. People could very well be expecting to see three thrones when they go before the Lord in heaven. But consider that for a moment. When you go before the Lord Jesus, when you go before him to see him personally and embrace him personally and get to know him in a deeper way, in a way that you can never even begin to imagine right now, when you do that, are you going to ask him, Lord Jesus, would you show me the Father? Would you please take a few minutes to show me the Heavenly Father? Is that the kind of question that you think you might be asking him? If it is, you certainly wouldn't be the first. Consider John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. This is John chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Now, he went on and he gave some further explanation with regards to that, but that should not negate the importance of understanding that the Lord Jesus was actually identifying himself as the Father, that if you were to see the Lord Jesus, you would be seeing the Father. And so if that's the case, then why would you expect to see the Lord Jesus to the right hand of the Father in heaven on a different throne? Why would you be expecting that? But that is actually what many people do believe, unfortunately. I don't think that they want to believe that necessarily. Some, as I mentioned, certainly do. However, I think the vast majority are just simply quite confused. The vast majority of people are just simply confused with regards to this subject. Consider a very important prophecy that was given by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, this is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now there are several names that are given here that do give distinct identities. They are names that describe a distinct aspect of our God, a distinct identity. For example, consider the Prince of Peace. Would you want to refer to the Heavenly Father as the Prince of Peace? Well, many people would say no, that does fit more in the category of the Lord Jesus, who is the Son, a Prince, and He is the one who has brought peace to us, peace in our own hearts, peace in our own beings, in our spirits, in the very core of who we are. In terms of our relationship with our God, He has brought peace between us and our God so that we can experience a relationship with our God that we could have never experienced in any other way. And in the midst of that, we could also experience peace in our own being, our own selves, that we could be at peace. Yes, He has set you free, and so that you personally can also experience the peace of God through having a relationship with your God and experience that internally within the very core of your being. We normally wouldn't think of the Heavenly Father in that context. However, it does say very clearly in this one verse, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, if you've got the two together, then obviously we are referring to the same person. The same person. He is the one who is going to reign on the throne of David. This is going to be the very person of God, who is the everlasting Father, and he is also the Prince of Peace. And just before Everlasting Father, it is written, Mighty God. He is the very Mighty God. It also says, Counselor, that he is a Counselor. He is also Wonderful. You could look at that as being the Wonderful Counselor. But does that mean, perhaps, that there is going to be four thrones in heaven? Is that what you really want to believe? Because the word counselor is used here in the context of everlasting father, prince of peace, do you expect to see, then, a fourth throne in heaven? Another throne in heaven with someone who is perhaps balding, a little bit of lack of hair, and perhaps some round glasses that is sitting on their throne with a clipboard in their hand, looking over at a couch, and someone is perhaps there being counseled or receiving counsel, asking the very important question, so tell me, how did that make you feel? Is that what you really expect? Is it really? I honestly do not. That is not what I expect to see. But it's very easy to say that directly or indirectly by the theologies that we try to hold to, by the doctrines that we try to teach, and by trying to enforce those doctrines by suggesting that if somebody doesn't believe in precisely what we believe or what they believe, then they will most certainly go to hell. Now, of course, there are some specifics with regards to whether or not you go to heaven or hell, but that's in the context of the gospel. And the gospel has to do with a person accepting and believing in the forgiveness of sins and receiving the Holy Spirit, the restoration of life that had been lost in Adam. That is the gospel. If a person is born again of the Spirit, if they are born anew from above, then they are saved. 
regardless of to what degree or to what depth they truly know their God, they will most certainly be saved. I sincerely believe that we can count on that fact on the basis of the fundamental understanding of the gospel in and of itself. Beyond that, it has to do with our growth in our understanding of our God. But consider again this passage in Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. A child is born, a son is given, who is the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the counselor. These are names that describe a portion of who our God is. And that is the most important thing, is to understand that these are names that are given in order to give us a small piece, a small understanding of the totality of our God. It has to do with our perspective, or God's perspective. And that's where this subject goes. So let's consider that for a moment. I'm going to make a shift in thought, and then I'm going to return to this in order to try and bring these pieces together so that you can have a greater understanding, I believe, so that you will have a greater understanding of the character of God and what he has truly done for you. Now, where does our God truly dwell? Where is he? Many people answer this question in the context of, well, he's up there in heaven. He's somewhere up there. Those who are aware of the fullness of the gospel that our God indwells within us could also answer that question in the context of he is indwelling within his people. And that certainly is correct. Others may describe his geographical proximity by suggesting that he is here, he is there, he is effectively everywhere. He is something that permeates all things throughout the entire universe. And that's another way of looking at it. I can appreciate that. But it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 16, that is 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, that our God dwells in unapproachable light. In accordance with a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, his description about the dwelling place of God or where he could be found is in unapproachable light. Our God could be described as a God who dwells in a place that is totally, absolutely, and completely unapproachable, that you would never ever be able to have access to your God because he is there in a place that you would never be able to reach. And that is a perspective that some people hold to as well. But I sincerely believe that our God would not remain in such condition. Our God, in order to have a personal interactive relationship with us, would have to remove himself from the totality of unapproachable light, would have to present himself in a way that we could withstand. For example, consider when he revealed himself to Moses. When he revealed himself to Moses, he told Moses that Moses would not be able to look upon his face. Otherwise, he would die because he could not withstand the holiness, the incredible totality of who our God is. He would not be able to survive the intensity of that kind of contact with his creator. He allowed Moses to see his back as he was walking past him. On the mountain of God, he permitted that to occur. And yet there are other passages that suggest that our God has revealed himself in different ways. For example, he spoke with Moses in the tent of meeting. And when he did that, he spoke with Moses as he would with a friend. And when Moses would come out of the tent of meeting, he would have a glow about him from the intensity of having this personal contact with our God to the extent where he would have to put a veil over his face in order to keep the illumination from the face of Moses, from the children of Israel, so they would not see the glory of God. 
That's another important thing to keep in mind. Consider also Abraham. Abraham saw God himself personally as well. They sat down and had a meal together and talked about Sarah having a child, and Sarah said, Oh, no, I'm not going to have a child, and she laughed. She laughed at the word of the Lord. And the Lord responded by asking Abraham, Why was Sarah laughing? And Sarah responded by saying, Oh, I wasn't laughing. And the Lord said, Well, yes, you were laughing. And after they had a meal, they got up and they took a little bit of a stroll. Abraham and our God, it does say specifically in the scriptures, that Abraham walked with God. The word that was used was definitely the word for the name of our God. He was there walking and talking and eating and fellowshipping with Abraham. And then they went and they spoke about Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham made an appeal to our God, requesting that he not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if he could only find a few righteous people there in the city. Would he at least spare it for a few? And that story, of course, is given to us in Genesis. But understand that our God has certainly revealed himself at certain times. And it is clear in the scriptures that it was truly our everlasting Father, the creator of all things, the mighty God, without question. He did reveal himself in different ways. And so our God can do that. Yes, he can do that. He can reveal himself in different manifestations. And he would have to do that if we're going to get to know who he is, because there is no way that we can withstand the incredible holiness and illumination of our God. There is no way that we could ever approach him. There is no way that he would be able to approach us. We would not be able to withstand who he is. And so he has had to present himself in different ways, in small ways, in subtle ways, so that we can understand him a piece at a time. This is a very important concept to understand. Pay attention, and that is that our God has had to reveal himself in small ways and so that we can grapple with who he is a piece at a time. There is no way that we can withstand the fullness of who he is, and so he has revealed himself in small ways. Consider just walking through the scriptures, reading through the events that took place in the history of humanity, the establishment of the nation of Israel, and how he walked with them, and how he worked with them, how he taught them, and how he revealed himself slowly and gradually, a little bit at a time. He was recognized as the God who sees us. He was recognized as the God who heals us. He was recognized as the God who provides for us. He was recognized as the God who is our shepherd. And he was also recognized as the God who is our savior the God who reveals himself as a son, the God who reveals himself as a father, and who reveals himself as a spirit that interacts with the fullness of his creation personally and interactively with multiple people simultaneously. Imagine that, that he can speak with, work with, talk with, reach out to multiple people simultaneously. He can do that. He is our God. These are names that he has given to us so that we can understand small parts of the fullness of who he is, so that we can begin to know him a little bit at a time. From his perspective, he is the fullness of all things. From our perspective, we are only able to understand him in small aspects, in small characteristic descriptions, in language that we can comprehend by making comparisons with things that we can understand. 
That is our perspective of him. We can only withstand a portion of him at a time. However, that does not diminish the fullness of who he is. It only shows that he has revealed himself in small ways, in different manifestations, so that we can grapple with him a little bit at a time. So it has to do with their perspective. From his perspective, he is revealing a little bit of himself at a time. From our perspective, we are growing to understand who he is a little bit at a time, but that does not diminish the fullness of who he is. That does not diminish the totality of who he is. It does not diminish anything in that way whatsoever. It just goes to show you that you cannot handle the fullness of God. He who dwells in unapproachable light can only be approached, can only be approached if he would Tone himself down is the best way that I can describe it. This is very important to see, because if you don't see this, then it's going to be all or nothing. That's what it's going to come down to. It's either going to be all or nothing. And because it is very difficult for people to accept all or nothing, people tend to think in terms of different personalities, different beings, different gods, because they cannot comprehend the fullness of who he is or how the fullness would all be assembled into one essence in truth. And so they distinguish things and suggest that there are three different persons, which is by default suggesting that there are three gods. Very easily it can be a suggestion of that when all you have to do is think about about it in terms of perspective, that your God wants you to know who he is. Don't underestimate that. He wants you to know who he is, but he knows full well that you cannot grapple with the fullness of who he is and that he has to reveal himself to you a little bit at a time. It's perfectly acceptable. Consider John chapter 1 verse 14 where it says in John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. Our God, identified as the Word, became flesh. This is a manifestation of our God, that our God decided to reduce the fullness of who he is and manifest as a person who would live here, who would talk with people here, who would eat with people here, who would live a life as we live a life and die a death, the death on the cross. It's very important to understand this. If our God manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us, why is it so difficult for you to accept the fact that our God has manifested himself in a smaller way than the fullness of who he is? And if he did it here in this way, then why would it be difficult for you to understand him manifesting himself as the one who sees, as the one who provides, as the one who protects, as the one who saves, as the one who shepherds us, as the one who does many things? Why would it be so unacceptable for so many people to look at that as a manifestation of our God? Certainly not to the fullness of what we experienced in him manifesting himself as the Lord Jesus, but still they are simple, small manifestations that do have their importance and are not to be minimized. That is what our God chose to use. He chose to use a manifestation of himself. From his perspective, that does not reduce who he is as a person. From his perspective, that does not divide him up into three different parts. From his perspective, that is just simply his way of showing us a little bit of who he is at a time, and so that we can begin to have a relationship with him. 
That's all it is. It's very simple. And so from our perspective, I can accept the concept of the Trinity by saying that there is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit who were actively involved in doing unique things, having their part, their role in the salvation of humanity, having their role and their part in raising the Lord Jesus from the dead. As I was showing in the previous broadcast, there are scripture passages that say that the Father rose him from the dead, and that he himself, the Lord Jesus, rose him from the dead, and that the Holy Spirit rose him from the dead. Which one rose him from the dead? Well, the simple answer is, yes, they all did. They all rose him from the dead. But is that to say that our God is confused and we don't know who really did it? No, it is only to say that it is all true that our God who reveals himself as the Heavenly Father performed that work. And our God who reveals himself as the Spirit who is holy as opposed to those spirits who are not holy has done that work. And our God who dwelt among us, who lived among us as the Lord Jesus to reveal the truth of the salvation that he was presenting to the whole world is also true. This is true. So from our perspective, in order to grapple and understand the fullness of who he is, I personally believe it is acceptable to think of him in these distinctions. No problem with that whatsoever. And in that way, from that perspective, I do agree with Trinitarianism. I do. I don't want you to be confused about that, even though I have made some very strong statements. From that perspective, from my perspective and the limitations that I have as a person, from my perspective, looking up to my God, I most certainly agree with the Trinitarian view of God. However, from his perspective, looking down to us, I do not think that that is the best way to describe the nature of our God. Instead, from the perspective of him looking down to us, I sincerely believe that the best way to express that would be to express it in terms of he is revealing the fullness of himself in small ways and so that we can understand him a little bit at a time. But in truth, he is one. He is one person. He is one of character. He is one of being. He is the one God, the one creator, who is not separated into different pieces, working in concert collectively with himself. From his perspective, there is full, complete, total unity. So it depends on your perspective. Now, when I say that, there are many Trinitarians who would call me an absolute heretic and would say that I'm going to go to hell because of that particular belief. I want you to understand that, that that is how many people will view what I believe. But I certainly don't think that of them at all. That is just what many people believe of me, and I'm okay with that, because I certainly am not going to be judged by them. My God is the one who's going to make these decisions, and I'm certainly very thankful for that, and they should actually be thankful too, because I don't think that they would really want that kind of responsibility. But regardless of how you look at it, I am only saying that it depends on your perspective. From our perspective looking to our God, we can see it in one way. From the perspective of our God looking down to us, we can see it in another way. But the important thing, of course, is to remember that regardless of how you look at it, the most important thing is to consistently, constantly, and throughout the rest of your life here on earth, pursue a knowledge of him. Regardless of what your understanding is today, regardless of what you understand tomorrow, the most important thing is to consistently and constantly turn to your God to ask Him. I am not God, and neither are the people who proclaim what they believe about God. He is our God, and He is the one who has promised that He will reveal to you 
all truth, that he is the one who indwells within you, and he is there for the purpose of revealing to you who he is. Rely on him and trust in him and be at peace with all others, acknowledging that we are all on a journey discovering who our God truly is. And so when I refer to the Heavenly Father, the Everlasting Father, I am normally thinking of my God in terms of the one who has created all things, the one who has begotten all things, the one who oversees all things the one who is working within the world that he created, who is actively participating in the world that he created, the one who creates the uniqueness of individual people as they are conceived and born and made in their mother's womb. I am thinking of my God who protects and who provides. That is normally what I am thinking of when I am referring to my God as the everlasting Father. I am considering those aspects of his character, those aspects of his being, and that he is revealing a small part of who he is, and so that I can begin to grapple with and understand a little bit about who he truly is. When I think of the Son, when I think of the Lord Jesus, when I refer to the Lord Jesus, I am thinking of my God, the one who has provided salvation, the one who came personally to die for the forgiveness of sins, the one who has reconciled us to himself, who is no longer counting our sins against us, the one who reaches out to us in such a way that he is no longer ashamed of us, that he truly loves us, that he truly accepts us. When I think of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is holy, I am thinking of my God who provides us with the very life that he has within himself to make us alive to him. I am not thinking of the Holy Spirit as a different God or as a different person of God. I am thinking of my God who has revealed himself in that way and in that context. And so I can know of him who gives life, who gives life to the dead, who resurrects that which is dead and gives us a new life to live and so that we can come to know who he is, the one who teaches us, the one who guides us, the one who leads us into all truth. That is what I'm thinking of when I refer to the Holy Spirit of God. I am not thinking of a different person or a different personality. I am thinking of my God who has manifested himself in such a way that I can begin to know who he is in a small way so that I can grow in my relationship with him. And I will continue with this subject in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net